This is Andy. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, a podcast on which we look back at very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. Hooray! Today we are doing our very first episode of the show, Roseanne, mm-hmm. season six, episode four. Episode is called Stash from the Past. The writer is Kevin Abbott. The original air date, October 5th, 1993. And you can watch this on Amazon Prime Video. It's included with your subscription. Uh, so I have a very brief, you wrote what, I really tried to figure out what was the most interesting thing that Cabot, uh, Kevin Abbott also wrote. Uh, and I'm, I go back and forth between these two, so I'll just say both of them. Okay. Uh, this one's interesting because I think it sounds delightful. He wrote an uh, episode of the Golden Girls called The Pope's Ring. Ooh. Uh, when Pope John Paul II visits Miami, what? Sophia wants to see him and ask for the blessing of a sick friend. Huh. Yeah, I don't remember that one at all. Uh, and then he wrote episode five of season, the only season of the Uncle Buck TV show Jesus. from 1990, based on the John Candy fu- yeah. film. Uh, it, I, I didn't I'm, even know that was a TV show. I think they've tried to make it a TV show a hundred times now. Uh-huh. This is the only time I guess it went. It's really the, this seems like an extreme plot to me. See if you can, <laughs> see if you can figure out extreme where. Extreme plot. It really kind of does. All right. So the plot of, uh, episode, uh, five, season one, Buck to school. Hilarious. Cool. Buck makes a deal with Tia that she can drop out of school if Buck doesn't get his high school diploma. See, I understand what we're doing there is like, well, I can get my high school diploma, but the, what if he fucks it up? Then Tia, this, they're this, both, they both don't have a high school diploma. Well, then she gets, she gets to drop out Yeah, of the school. stakes are too high. Too high. Too high. I'll tell you what, you can murder me <laughs> if I don't get my high school diploma. Oh, no. Late Uncle Buck. So, Roseanne ran for an astonishing 230 episodes. Is that including the new season? No. Okay. That is the 10 seasons from 1988 to 1997. Was rebooted for one season in 2018. Then Roseanne Barr was fired. Very controversial, famous Who knows what happened there? Um, ABC canceled Roseanne on May 2019 after Roseanne Barr... Like in former Obama administration official Valerie Jarrett to Planet of the Apes, in a comment on Twitter that was described by the network's president as being, quote, abhorrent, repugnant, and inconsistent with our values. But then in June of 2018, ABC announced plans to retool the show as a spinoff involving the whole family without Roseanne, entitled The Connors, and that program premiered in October 2018 and is now in its second season. So I've seen the first episode of The Connors. It's not, I, I didn't care for Roseanne when it was on. The reboot didn't do much for me. But the first episode of that is pretty good. They uh, have killed off the character of Roseanne uh, uh, by way of an opioid overdose. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting thing to do. And the episode's an interesting... it's, it's It's an odd sort of like heavy... It's not heavy by by uh, as far as their message, but like 
there's a lot going on in that episode as far as like the show's history. Yeah. Uh, but they do address the opioid crisis in an interesting, interesting. way. Yeah. So that episode's worth watching. Maybe the rest of them too. Who knows? Yeah. The show, uh, Roseanne, the original run, was critically lauded and a perennial fan favorite for its realistic portrayal of a working class family. It was born out of Roseanne Barr's stand up like Seinfeld or Home Improvement mm-hmm. type scenario. And it's centered on the Connors, an American working class family struggling to get by on a limited income. Uh, in a fictional mid-state exurb of Chicago called Lanford, Illinois, it was very rare at the time to have both parents working outside the house mm-hmm. on a sitcom, especially in sort of blue-collar jobs. There were provocative storylines throughout the series, Very, you know, what we would think of as very special episode storylines. Right. And Roseanne stated that they were issues that working-class Americans experienced in their everyday lives and very few scripted programs had ever addressed them, and so she wanted to make a point of tackling them. Also unusual for the time, many scripts were written by women, especially in the earlier seasons, and directed by women, um, which is even today very rare for sitcoms to uh, episodes to be directed by women. So this particular episode, Stash from the Past, uh, aired in 1993 and was ranked number 21 on TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of really? All Time. Yep. Yikes. And the show was ranked number 35 on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. Mm. So this, there's a lot written about this episode. This episode was ranked. This yep. is one of the dumbest episodes of TV I've ever seen. I don't. I think maybe we're evaluating them on two different criteria. We'll see when we get All there. Right, this, yeah. I'm interested. We, we, for those of you who, I don't know, just started listening, we don't talk about these before we sit down to mm-hmm. talk about them. And so sometimes we have very different experiences of the same episode. Yeah. I mean, as far as the discussion is concerned, I, I'm interested to see where it goes. But just having to sit down and watch this a few times in order to make this podcast, I, it's, I found it insufferable. Oh, wow. I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah. Um, before we do, let's get into our snack. That'll help us through this these trying times of um, disagreeing on a thing. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got today, Chelsea? Today for our Levi Petrie snack time hour, except he's still alive, uh, we have Trader Joe's Milk Chocolate Caramel Crunch Medallions. These are caramel-filled mm-hmm. chocolates with a hazelnut crunch, and it's been very hard for me not to eat these. They come from Belgium. Oh. Uh, and it looks great. Well, everything is made of chocolate. Yeah. Chelsea, or beer. Sh- stop talking. Let's eat these. Yeah, these are really good. Yeah, I could have used less hazelnut and more of the rest of the tastes, but uh, mm. it, was, it was pretty good. Interesting. I liked how the caramel inside is actually oozy. Like you bite into it and it oozes the out. Second time you've you've used the word oozy to describe something that is. We've had two supposedly oozy snacks in a row. Another reason for gun control. High five, everybody! Fucking sick oozy joke. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, um, only two things like in my mind: in- ooze, <laughs> Chelsea. That's pus, and no, that's it. Well, sores, m- melty. Okay, so it's a, it's got a melty center that actually sort of I like. No, you mean oozy. The viscosity of it is correct. A lot of times when you eat something like a Rolo, say, mm-hmm. it's so old 
that the center does isn't actually soft anymore. Sure. You know, is that uh, what you think really is wrong good. with Rolos? That they're all just too old? <laughs> no. Uh, that's that's what you're saying. Is like every Rolo is just yes. Like, well, aged. okay, then yes, it is because by the time they get it onto the shelf from the factory, uh-huh. if it ever was molten in the center, it's not anymore because of the way it's made or the preservatives they use or whatever. But you think there's a moment in Rolo production where like Rolos are actually good? When they're very first filled, before they're even <laughs> wrapped. The one moment. If you can get it off the assembly line before it's wrapped, <laughs> then it tastes like what they want you to think they're All supposed right. to We're taste gonna like. We're going to find out where the Rolo factory is. <laughs> we'll do take it, it by on storm. <laughs> we'll, do a, we'll do an episode from there. These are really good. I would give these an A, honestly. Sure. I can go along with that. Sweet. Hey, Chelsea, let's talk about a goddamn episode of television. Let's do it. So the ordinary world of Roseanne is, as we said, this uh, blue-collar family, both parents work. We have outspoken Roseanne, the matriarch. She's married to her husband, whose name is Dan, Mm -hmm. played by John Goodman. They have three children, Becky, Darlene, and DJ. Later in the series, Roseanne and Dan will have their fourth child, Jerry Garcia, Connor. That's not true, is it? Uh Uh-huh. What? That's according to... Okay. Website. And, well, um, somebody hacked that website then. But then we have uh, Oh, you think so? No, I don't. Okay. I, I don't doubt it for a second. In this episode, we have a person who's a player that I had to look up. His name is David. Yeah. And he is actually Darlene's boyfriend. Yeah, this was a real confusing... But she has gone off to art school, but he lives with them because... He, he came from an emotionally and verbally abusive yeah. household, and they took like him that. in at some point when Darlene still lived with them. They like took him in to live with them, and then she went off to art school, and, and he, he just stayed stuck around. Um, and then they have a long like I actually ended up going down a real wormhole on a website of their the whole layout of their relationship is like over all the seasons is very tumultuous. So they weird. end up getting married. They yeah. have two kids. When they come back with for the Connors for the reboot, they're divorced. And then, of course, the actor Johnny Galecki is on The Big Bang Theory, right. so like he couldn't really be in yeah. the reboot. There's a um, lot of shuffling for this thing. There, there were two Beckys, I think. Is there is, were two Beckys? Yeah, one Becky yep. for the first couple Famously. seasons, and then Sarah Chalk was one of the Beckys. There you go. Also, part of the family and a big part of this episode is Roseanne's sister Jackie, who's played by Laurie Metcalf, one mm-hmm. of the greatest actresses of her generation. She is the first person we see on this episode. She comes over to visit Roseanne and ask for her brother-in-law Dan's help in fixing the corner of her carpet. Yeah, here's the first problem I got with this uh, episode okay. is, you know, they've set up Roseanne, you know, based on her stand-up and everything like that. It's sort of a brash, sarcastic character. And she's being brash and sarcastic. And Jackie's like, oh, what's wrong, Roseanne? You sound grumpy. And it's like, no, she doesn't. She she's sounds like she always does. Always in bad mood. Yeah. So, but but we need to we need to something needs to be wrong, and we need to identify right. it. Did you watch this show as a kid? I don't think so. No, I, I feel like I remember watching episodes, but it must have been in syndication because this, The Simpsons, uh, Married with Children, these were all verboten. Yeah, me too. Same. We were not anything, allowed to watch anything crass yeah. or that felt like um, the kids were disobedient. Or I think my mom's specific problem was with Roseanne herself. I think ironically, any show that Bill Cosby disapproved of, we were not allowed to watch. Because mm. he was very verbal about The yeah, Simpsons yeah. being like a step backwards. I think it, we definitely weren't allowed to watch this or Married with Children. I don't know if The Simpsons was explicitly verboten or we just didn't get into it. I think my parents were very concerned about me being a bad little boy mm-hmm. and mimicking. I wasn't allowed to watch that or Problem Child, the movie series Problem Child. Oh, yeah. Which... Great. I think I came out ahead on that one. 
Uh, even Home Alone. I don't think I was allowed to watch Home Alone. Oh, right really? Away. We definitely watched a lot of Home Alone. Anything where it was like this will turn our kid into a rap scallion was mm-hmm. was strictly uh, not allowed. Yeah, anything where the kids were mouthy or disobedient to the parents, sure. was, we weren't uh, allowed to watch. Because then you you figure out quickly, I can be mouthy and disobedient. Yeah. Wow, this is way more fun. And get laughs from a studio audience. Where's those drugs? <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Those drugs hit the spot. <laughs> so, of course, Roseanne is, we're told, in a bad mood. And we find out it's because she found a metal Band-Aids box. Remember those? <laughs> uh, full of weed while cleaning out David's room. David yeah. is, again, the boyfriend right. of her daughter who lives with them, who's, I guess, supposed to be, what, like 18 or something? It seems like it. Maybe old enough older? that, yeah, I mean. Well, if Darlene's gone off to art school and he's the same age as Darlene, we'll say like 19. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Roseanne's upset. Uh, she's upset not only that David has brought drugs into their house, but she's upset that Dan's you know been in a shitty mood le- lately, right? And that he's gonna lose his lose. He's gonna blow his top. Yeah, when he hears about this. Yeah, Jackie's like, "What are you gonna do? Are you gonna tell Dan?" And she says, "I I don't know." And and then Jackie starts listing all the street names for weed. Lord. And then she says, "Call it what you like. It's trouble." So this is our call to adventure. Like, what to do about this? I Not mean, even what to do about David, but what to do about the fact that like this thing is now in the house. And, yeah. and Roseanne doesn't know what she's going to do about it. And also, at this point, we think this is going to be your typical sitcom. Uh, oh, no, found drugs in the house. The kids are going down a bad path. How do we, the parents, set an example? Like, that's what they're kind of setting up. But yeah. that expectation will be subverted. Well, it doesn't help that Jackie, uh, you know, who I agree is 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 one of the greatest actors ever, Uh is made to be, I think they're making a joke of it, but she is just a walking PSA for a large portion of this. Isn't she a cop, though? Hold on. I thought that, too, Jackie. but then I was like, certainly not. What's so here's the list of occupations. Uh, life coach, co-owner of the lunchbox, truck driver, police officer, department store perfum- perfume girl, and line worker at Wellman's Plastics. Yes, so she was a police officer for a time, but then she was injured and quit rather than being forced to take a desk job. Right. So she was a cop at one point, which um, leads to, you know, makes more makes more sense why she would be listing off all these street names for the drugs and things. Yeah. The next thing we have is, even before we get to the credits, we cross the first threshold. Mm-hmm. Dan, played by John Goodman, comes in yelling at their son, DJ, to get off the roof. Yeah. Roseanne says that she's the one who told him he could play up there f- because she figured it was safer than the park. And then Dan yells at both Roseanne and Jackie. Uh, he's in a bad mood from work, so Roseanne figures this time is not right to tell him about the pot that she found. Right. And then we get to the credits. Yep. Which is its own sort of mini music video movie. Sure. It's a very interesting style of credits. It's a real Scorsese one-shot. It is. Of a family around a table. We have a family sitting around the dinner table. They're eating Chinese takeout. The meal is very chaotic. It's very every man for himself. It's mm-hmm. not like, Donna Reed, look, I made a pot roast yeah. and I'm sitting it down and you're luckily, all gently waiting. Luckily, there are about between 20 and 5,000 containers of Chinese food <laughs> on this so table. So much food. You can't see a table for it's all these so containers. Much food. But it gives us clues about... Um, there are indicators about the socioeconomic status of the family, their relationships. Mm-hmm. It is chaotic, but there is a lot of smiling, and it ends with the only sound we hear besides the music, which is Roseanne's laughter. Sure. So it's actually pretty well done in terms of, like, without being like a, 
here's a theme song where someone is singing the plot of the show while showing you static photos of now characters. Now it's time for Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne and the family. Her husband's name is Dan and she's got a couple kids that love Chinese food. John Goodman sings this theme song. Oh my God, yes. All right, I'm on board now. <laughs> I really, I thought it was a very effective uh, it is. It's credit also, sequence. It's also effective in the progression from season to season because I know from from uh, having, I, I know that the first season is them all sitting around a table and it just pans around as they gather. Right. This one, it has people coming and going. Yeah. It's like Dan and Roseanne, I think DJ are all sitting at the table, maybe Jackie as well, and the rest of the kids are just coming and going. They're like grabbing yeah. the food and leaving. Is there a Becky? I didn't even see a Becky in this sequence. I didn't see a Becky. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so... Now we're getting into the the test allies and enemies, the the rising action of the story. Mm-hmm. Dan and Roseanne go out to a bar. It's her idea. He says, this is not going to cheer me up. But Roseanne is like, but if you're drunk, you'll annoy me less. Yeah. So Dan is troubled about work. Um, and this is important. This is not just like, oh, he needs to be in a bad mood for the plot storyline to work. Like this is going to tie directly into what happens later, which I think is why when it's on it's on these lists of best written episodes, mm. this is this is part of it is because all of these threads eventually get tied together. Sure. So he's troubled about work because we don't really know why, but he's at this moment, but he says, if you screw up when you're twenty five, it's fine. If you screw up when you're forty two, you're a serious loser. Yeah. And she says, That's not really true. I just told you that when you were twenty five to make you feel better. Um but the big problem he's having at work is he's the foreman yeah. of a construction crew and his guys don't take him seriously. Well, he, he explains later that he was chosen as a foreman amongst a, a, a group of workers who are all on the same level. There's 30 of them. And now suddenly he's in charge of all of these guys and there's a lot of resentment there. Yeah. So he's trying to balance being a stern manager with uh uh, being, you know, understanding that people have resentment and also balancing the idea that he doesn't want to be a shitty manager. Right. He's like got a mean the real... manager who, who does like, you know, who, who rules with an iron fist. He's really got the real uh, Michael Scott Machiavelli well, sure does. conundrum going on where he's like, I don't want them to dislike me. And she mm-hmm. says, people don't work for you because they like you. We're getting ahead a little bit in terms of the dialogue, but this is the issue is he's like, I've had every boss I've ever had has been a hard ass and I've hated him. And I always swear I wouldn't be that kind of guy. And she's like, but you have to maintain order. Someone has to be in charge. And if people don't like you, but they get their work done, that's the most important thing about work. This is not like a club. Sure. It just so happens that they see a man and woman across the bar, and the guy's name is Pete, the guy that's sitting there. And he says, that guy is my biggest headache. He took a half day today because he called in sick. And he also comes in late. He does lousy work. He has people punch his time card for right. him. This is one of my employees. I've caught him playing hooky, basically, basically. with his wife. And he, Roseanne's like, you got to go over and talk to him. Like, now we're all in this room. This is your opportunity to go set some boundaries and be a manager. So John Goodman walks over there. I'm just going to call him John Goodman. That's fine. So Dan walks well, over there. Well, we might there. as well call him uh, uh, Paul Feig. Yeah, so Pete is played by Paul Feig. Young, uh, shaggy Paul Feig. Yes, who you know from Freaks and Geeks and like a ton of movies. Yeah. This is his only episode of Roseanne. I looked to see if you were in other episodes. But this is his yeah, only episode of Roseanne. Pete is sitting there with 
with his wife and, and Dan comes over and says, Hey, you feeling better? What'd the doctor say? Yeah. Pete's like, oh, okay, I'm busted. Let me buy you and your wife a beer. And, and Dan agrees. Oh, thanks. Sure. Yeah. Goes back to Roseanne, who is not impressed. Is it? Okay. Here's my first question about this episode. It's not a big one, but the way that this episode is going is Roseanne, Roseanne's, the, the thrust of her, her plot is, I found pot. We need to deal with this. Dan's in a bad mood. And then they go to the bar where Roseanne is like, you got to be tough on these guys. You got to yell at them. Is she trying to get him to take all of his frustrations out on this guy so that he'll ease up when they when they get home and have to talk about David? I don't think it's that. I, I don't think that he has... She makes the point later that he bottles up his work frustrations and takes them out on his family. Okay, that, that's so, probably it. Then. So I think it's more like actually confront the people that make you angry. So yeah, when you get right. home, you don't take that energy that's about Pete out gotcha. on David. So yeah, I think it's that, but I don't think it's like let let's um release the valve here sure. on this innocent person. Like the problem is is she's Pete. saying place the blame where it, where it exactly. Okay. So. She says, you know, if you don't get tough on this guy now, his behavior will get worse, his lunch breaks will get longer, his diseases will get more exotic, and his relatives will start dropping like flies. And Dan goes, oh, he's not going to do those things. I know him. And Roseanne says, I am him. Right. Solid. This is a solid point. Uh, she also points out, like we said, that when Dan gets mad at his coworkers, he bottles it up and takes it out on his family. And that shit's real. You know, like that's... I I haven't heard that called out in that way on a sitcom before. The idea that, like, you can't take this out on us just because we're available to you. Sure. So they go home fighting. Like, they don't resolve this at the bar. Right. The next scene is back at their house, and they walk in, and they're still fighting. And he is talking about how he'll handle the situation. Jackie wanders in and only hears that part of it, assumes that they're talking about David, and, and clocks Dan's anger and says, hey, don't worry. This isn't the first time. You know, David's not the first kid who ever brought pot into the house. Right. This, yeah, this is how he finds out. And he's livid. He is livid. Jackie, um, do we do we break? No, we go in. They call. He calls call David, David immediately. Down. Right, yeah. Yeah, so Roseanne is like, do not deal with David right now when you're so upset about Pete. And Dan yells for David anyway. He's like, get down here. Mm. We're going to have this confrontation. So David comes in and and uh, Roseanne straight up asks him. Like he sits down at the table. They're on either side of him. And Roseanne is straight up like, do you smoke pot? He says no. Well, twice. And right. she says, I'm not going to give you all the reasons drugs are bad because I know you know them. I assume you already know that you could go to jail and this could ruin your life. But I will say to you that there is a 12-year-old boy living in this house. And if you ever bring drugs in again, you are kicked out. 100%. Uh, if we, I'm sorry, did we mention that Jackie just walks out spouting more drug propaganda? No. Okay. J Jackie no. is like, yeah, that's the reason they call it dope and do the brain on drugs thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The audience seems really on board with that. That should be, and maybe I'm looking at it from today's point of view, that should be the lamest shit ever. Yeah, but I think part of it is that Jackie's character is completely neurotic. Yes. So it's a little bit like a worst case scenario, just jumping straight to all the worst things. But I also feel like it's 1993. And this is the, the the D.A.R.E. program, War on Drugs. And I don't know when that the Brain on Drugs commercial started, but it's around this time. It's around this time. Well, it's at the point where they can make a joke about it that's so well known. Because yeah. what happens after she gives him this little lecture She is, screams, Dan, a pan. Yeah. And <laughs> she, she smashes an egg and says... Uh, this is your brain on drugs. She like reenacts the whole PSA, and Dan says nothing this entire time. Right, actually, she's gotten it wrong because the 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 commercial is 
cracking an egg into a frying pan that is, right. you know, already hot and saying, this is your brain on drugs. Right, fry your brain. What, what, when did it come out? 87. 87. So this is, a, so that commercial came out in 1987. Thank you, Miles. So it's been around for long enough. Yeah. It's just, it's, Well, I don't the know. point of this is not even the drugs are necessarily bad. Like that's not even the point we're making because it's going to turn on a dime. This is the reason. I don't think it makes a bunch of little points. I think what happens is you think it's going in one direction sure. and then it, take, it bangs a hard left. Which, and you realize that this is not an episode about pot. It's an episode about nostalgia. And so Dan is saying nothing this whole time. She's Roseanne has presented the metal Band-Aids box in sure. which the pot was found and put it in the center of the table. And David's like, uh, yeah, that's mine. I promise I'll never do this right. again. And then Ro- Roseanne tells him to leave so, so she and can Dan figure can... Their, <laughs> figure out their punishment. Yeah, figure out your punishment. And then there's a huge reveal right before commercial... Dan takes the container into his hands and says, this isn't David's weed. This is your weed, Roseanne. And the audience gasps. And then we cut to commercial. 100%. I'm really interested now. I I did not think of this as a nostalgia-busting episode. So they come back from a commercial. uh, We're in the exact same moment. And Dan says, yeah, I hid that 20 years ago when we quit. And this was actually my favorite line of the my favorite joke line. She goes, we quit? I thought we were just out. Yeah. So, <laughs> that was pretty good. So he's like, yeah, when you were pregnant with our first child, you told me to get rid of your stash, but mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that part of my life to be over. You threw it in so the toilet and I, then fished it out. And, and then dried it out. Dryer. Yeah, and I just hid it. And now you've blamed David for something he didn't do. And David straight up copped to it. David yeah. was like, yeah, that's mine, which we don't know why he did that yet. And has he has he already done the thing? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, they literally make him get on his knees and thank Roseanne and Dan yeah, for, for being for so cool. Yeah, for not kicking him out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they're in quite a position. This is actually my favorite part of the episode is when David comes back in. Roseanne, he's, he says, have you, have you decided my punishment yet? And Roseanne says two things, which are very clever. She says, I, I hope you realize what a very awkward position you've put us in. Yeah. And then he says, I'm sorry. And she goes, not half as sorry as I am. And he leaves and she goes, it feels good to have apologized. Yes, it does. I'm it like, that's pretty clever. That's really smart. Pretty clever. Um, they have to continue the charade that they're mad at him. Yeah. So now we cut to a phone booth. Yeah. David has gone to a phone booth, I guess, because he doesn't want to use the phone in the house in case they overhear him. He calls Darlene at art school and we find out why he took the blame for the pot. He thought it was hers. Right. And she's like, that's not mine. I don't smoke pot. It dulls my hatred, mm-hmm. which is a solid line. And this is kind of like as there was a there was a long sort of roundtable AV Club article about this episode. And part of the point they make is like. The PSA, if there is a PSA, anti-drug PSA, it's this phone call. There's another one later Where on. the two kids that you would think would be most drawn to smoking pot yeah. are like, I don't really have a use for that. And it's not like, that will ruin my life. It's just like, I don't need that. Yeah. David says, well, if it's not your pot, I'm off the hook. I'll just tell your parents it's Becky's. They figure out it's probably Becky's. And Darlene's like, my mom is not going to believe you and I'll get in trouble. And so David's like, well, I'm already in trouble. So let's just stick to the, right. stick to the, it's my pot storyline. That's that for them. That's the end of their yeah, episode. That's the end of their episode. And now this is what I'm talking about. We get into a whole other episode. This is like yeah. a whole, we, we take a hard left on this road, and this is the meat of it. Roseanne has hauled up a trunk of nostalgia from the basement to make sure there are no more drugs hiding in her memories. Mm-hmm. And she's 
put on her long hippie beads and her suede French vest and her political choker. buttons and yeah. like a weird leather choker. And she says, I still feel guilty about blaming David for the pot. And Dan comes in and he's like, well, I fired Pete and I feel guilty about that. I know I did the right thing. He's a terrible employee, but I never wanted to be this kind of guy. And I feel bad. So you're, because I, I feel like nostalgia doesn't quite cover what they're doing here. They've, I feel like it's 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 on a line of I don't want to be the person that I didn't want to be when I was 25. Yeah, it wasn't like, life better and simpler. But it wasn't it's not even it's not just that. It's I don't want to be the 42-year-old that my 25-year-old would hate. Yes, exactly. And this is a specific generation too of ex-hippies. Yeah. That I think maybe this generation of like millennials may end up in their 50s doing this, 40s, 50s doing the same thing of like I went to marches, I was never going to be the man, I was never going to be the establishment. Maybe. I wanted to change the world. It's a specific like 30-something big chill type of ethos that is specific to this generation of people who were teenagers in the 60s. It feels very specific to 70s, 60s, 70s. Boomers, as it were. Um, So he says, when did it happen, Roseanne? When did we go from doing stuff to yelling at people yeah. for doing stuff? When did we what get What have we become? Yeah, he's 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 now Dan the man, and he's upset about sure. it. And Roseanne breaks the tension with a joke about her corns, but Dan doesn't laugh. He's just like, I, I am a man I never wanted to be, and I am so sad. I just want to sit here in my sadness, basically. This is when I wrote down, while I'm watching this episode, while I'm taking notes, this is the second time I've seen this episode, and I write down, this isn't what I signed up for. No, it's because a totally different episode. It is totally different. And as such, I'm no longer, like, I'm like, well, then this has folded in on its own basic premise of, we found pot, what do we do? Yeah. And sort of, but it's not, look, I, I get that, they set up the idea of nostalgia early on or the idea of not being happy in their lives early on. I just don't feel like there's enough of it here. I feel like they could have done... All right, here's the thing. I think the writers wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to have this episode where it could have very easily been Roseanne and Dan are feeling a lot of pressure something sparks nostalgia in them. They find their old stash. They smoke weed. They find out it's not as great as they used to be, as it used to be. They also wanted to have a moment where they blame a kid, but it turns out it was Roseanne the whole time. Those two ideas make for too much of an episode. Mm. And I feel like you lose something in essentially shoehorning in the David uh, brought pot into our house. No, he didn't aspect of this. I feel like it's just too much of a reach. I hear you. I totally hear you. Um, My feeling on it is that it's more like normally the very special episode, we found drugs in the house. The upshot is our kid is not, this has revealed that our kid is not who we thought he was. Sure. And this is more like a, we found pot in the house and now we have to grapple with the fact that we are not who we thought we were. Or want it to be. Absolutely. And um, uh, I think that then if there was a better payoff in this episode, which again feels like it's it's, uh, abbreviated because of a time constraint. Like they they go through all of the final stages of learning a lesson in about five seconds. Yeah. So um, let's let's keep talking about it. We'll see what what happens when we get to the end. So so the next thing that happens is that DJ, the youngest 
comes in and says, can I sleep at a friend's house tonight? And Roseanne agrees. And they're like, oh, we're alone. And she and Dan have the same idea at the same time. Let's smoke this 20-year-old toilet pot. Um, 20-year-old toilet pot. Dan is beyond delighted by this idea. He's the happiest we have seen him in ages. And then Jackie comes over. And the first thing she's doing is she's like, I can't believe you're going to smoke that pot after you just yelled at David. And you're doing it on the coffee table mom gave you. And you're doing it wrong. Here, yeah. pass it over here. My my favorite, I laughed out loud every time I watched this episode. I laughed out loud. She comes in. She sees what she, they're doing. She goes, do you know what that is? Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Again, so uh, she, and so Jackie, they, they rolled she's this, good for this show. Yeah, uh, Laurie Metcalf. God bless. So they rolled this joint, or yeah, Jackie does, they do. and this they all smoke. 20-year-old uh, weed. And Chelsea, you might have been thinking to yourself, eh, 20-year-old weed still get you high? Also, isn't weed from that far back, like, basically just grass, like actual grass? All great questions, Chelsea. <laughs> and so I did some jazz research. Yeah. Uh, jazz cigarette research is what I call it this time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because it's about weed. So I did some research on whether or not pot that had been kept in a plastic bag and a Band-Aid tin for 20 years would still be potent. Yeah. Here's the problem. Uh-oh. Is that doctors say, scientists say, no. Oh. Scientists say that every, uh, after two years of being in very strict contained uh, storage... Pot does lose its potency. Mm -hmm. Like if it is in an airtight container, uh, you know. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. Like it loses 35% of its potency after three years, 45%, it's 45% less potent after five, down, 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 down. So it should only have like maybe a tenth of the potency of Mm. 20 year old swag weed (laughs) at best. So, but we're also in a plastic bag and a tin. So really, this shouldn't be anything. Then I went on message boards and stoners say that 20-year-old weed's even more potent than ever, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So scientifically, no, this shouldn't work. Anecdotally, this is the shit. This is the best. But that's not not jazz research. That's just regular research. So uh, while I was looking around, I found on the website marijuanamoment.net that the uh, mother of rapper Redman... Jesus Christ. Earlier this year, January 2019, (laughs) discovered a 20-year-old stash of Redman's in her house. Oh, my God. And there's an Instagram video. So basically, this scenario, this Roseanne scenario played out. In real world. In in real life. And he Instagrammed it uh, uh, showing his his old 20-year-old collection. And it's great because his mother's in the background. She's like, don't say my name. Don't say my name. Don't say my name. And he's like showing off his collection. She's like, we should sell this on eBay. And Redman goes, I can't say your name, but you're going to sell it on eBay. And then he focuses on a small triangular baggie with a red label on it. And he says, look at this. It's an old Branson bag. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Because he he talks about it for a long while. He's like, it's a Branson bag. This is the OG shit right here. This is fucking East Coast. Well, he's saying all these things. So I'm like, I don't know what that is. So it turned out in the 90s, uh, there was a popular drug dealer in the East Coast, specifically in New York, uh, who went by the name of Branson. And his trademark were triangular bags with red labels on sure. them. 
And those that drug dealer and those bags have been mentioned in over 60 rap songs. Wow. So real piece of history there. And that's fucking jazz research, y'all. That's a good one. Yeah, it worked out pretty great. Awesome. Are you going to take us out? No. My favorite part is that the last part you can do jazz hands. You truly can. By the way, that is again from Kendrick Lamar's For Free on the album To Pimp a Butterfly. And I'm going to give a shout out to a, 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 another podcast. It's a podcast called Dissect, uh, which is an in-depth look at hip-hop albums. Each season is a different album. The first season is To Pimp a Butterfly. And he most recently put out another season on Kendrick Lamar's Damn, which I am very much looking forward to listening to. It's very cool. Insanely insightful, very well researched. Just if you like hip hop albums at all, especially if you like Kendrick Lamar uh, or I think he does Kanye West, um, Tyler, the creator, uh, go check that out. They're fucking amazing. And they will give you background and information, references, samples, everything. Cool. Yeah, I'll put the link in our uh, in our notes. Yep. Podcast. For All example, right. cool. Just between you and me, the original title of "To Pimp a Butterfly," which is an album dedicated Pulitzer to Pulitzer Prize winning album. Pulitzer Prize, actually. Yeah. No, you're right. Which is has a lot to do with Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it includes at the very end of the album a fake interview between Kendrick Lamar and Tupac Shakur. It was originally going to be called "To Pimp a Caterpillar," mm. and if you take the the the, it was going to be the number two Pimp a Caterpillar, which would be two P-A-C, Tupac. Oh. Yeah. But he thought, he thought To Pimp a Butterfly was a better title. It is. It is. So now we're approaching the inmost cave. Yep. So the inmost bathroom. The inmost bathroom. We're in, you know, where you everyone hangs out when you get high, your bathroom. Jesus. Eat, but there's food. There's like a bag of chips on the floor. This is like a nightmare. Dan's got a pudding pop and... And Roseanne takes it from him, and he's like, I love you, you're the best, and she's too into the pudding pop to care, and she's here's, like, what? So it, this is all... Correct me if I'm wrong, but Roseanne Barr, the char- Roseanne, the character, the worst person to smoke weed with? Yeah, no. She's I think both the character and actual Roseanne Barr probably be the worst I people. I mean, just based on Twitter feed alone. Right, so... I'd rather listen to her sing the national anthem. There you go. Watch <laughs> out, everybody. Topical, topical joke. So... <laughs> Popery run, popery run. So this is... I feel like the writer's way of being like, we gotta get some stoner humor in here. Yeah. Before we get into the actual... Uh, supreme ordeal which is going to be kind of uh, emotional and heavy let's get some stoner jokes about how they're hungry and all this kind of jammed in here and once again the only saving grace in this is motherfucking aunt jackie it's true um She's so good but then dan says i thought this stuff would make me feel younger all i feel is old and tired and hungry right. and roseanne says man maybe this is how we got fat and then we hear a voice from nowhere say nobody loves me and it's Jackie. <laughs> She's inside the, the shower tub curtain. with yes. the shower curtain drawn. It's just solidly funny. Is she also like, wearing like a sleeping bag or something? She's, she's all bundled up. It inside is hard the to bath. tell where one pattern of her shirt ends and a pattern of some blanket it's begins. It's amazing. And they they open the shower curtain. They're like, "We thought you went home, but I think she lives in that bathtub now." And later she goes, "Is this the sink? Am I shrinking?" 
My favorite. Dead. My favorite is she's holding the little baggie of weed. She goes, I don't have anybody. It's just me and my ganja. Me and my ganja. Yeah, <laughs> still throwing out names. So it's a very funny scene in that I think that they are cracking each other up. Yeah. I think the actors are genuinely laughing at each other doing stoner behavior. Yeah. Um, and I think that all three of these people have actually smoked pot before, which I often uh, don't believe of actors in very special yeah, episodes. True. I truly believe these three people have experienced what it's like to be on pot. I will say 100% uh, when, so they're, they hear a noise and if, if, if anybody does this to me on pot, we'd stop being friends. Roseanne starts playing on Dan's paranoia. Yeah. And like starts like waving her hands in his face and talking about like, ooh, the birds, the birds are coming. And she's like, oh, you don't like that? And he says, no, I don't. And then he does like a weird like shooing motion. <laughs> yeah. Which is 100% what you do when you mean to like express yes, yourself physically. It was like a beautiful moment of physical comedy it's from really John good. Goodman. So this is the supreme ordeal. Yeah. They're like, someone's in the house. Oh, God, someone's in the house and we're all up here stony baloney. And then. <laughs> baloney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And, then, and Jackie. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then there's a knock at the door. And it's. I'm sorry. I cannot let Stony Baloney go by. <laughs> Stony Baloney? Uh, yeah. Have you ever heard Stony Baloney before? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Have I ever heard the title of this episode before? No. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. It's fantastic. Fucking slam dunk joke and name of the podcast all at once. I don't have to try to like make up some gobbledygook before we end it. Yeah, I'm using that phrase forever now. All right, Stony Baloney, where were we? So there's a knock on the bathroom door, and it's DJ, the youngest child. He's come home early, and um, he, he doesn't know where his sleeping bag. He doesn't. Is. He's looking for a sleeping bag for the sleepover, and. I think is does Laurie Metcalf say the jig? Someone says the jig is up. I think it's Laurie Metcalf, which I love, is, is a phrase I love. And then DJ, uh, DJ is like, "Mom, can you help me find my sleeping bag?" And reality sets in. Roseanne sends him to the garage, but she can't think of the name for she the says, garage. Go to that building in the backyard where your dad goes with the tools in the car. Sometimes yeah. she's doing real good. Stoned. Trying to act like trying to maintain. Yes. Like trying to act straight. Uh, but they won't uh, open the door to talk to him. Not They're at all. yelling at him no, through no, the door. No. And then he's like, "All right," and he wanders off, and that's it. That's the whole interaction with the kid. But then she breaks down, not because anything bad happened, but because if anything bad did happen to her kids while she's in this state, she wouldn't be able to help. Sure. And she calls herself the worst mother ever, and she tells Dan, "I just want our old lives back." Um, and this reminds me of a thing that I hate. This is tiny, a little tangent, but I mm. hate when I'm reading usually a script or a pilot or something, and there's a stage direction where someone is drunk or, or on drugs and something happens, and the stage direction is, Susan, instantly sober. Instantly da, 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 da. I'm like, up. instantly sober, not a fucking not thing. A thing. Not a thing. It doesn't actually matter how intense the experience that you're having is, unless yeah. you're faking being drunk and on yeah. drugs. Instantly sober is I, not a thing. Yeah, I've never understood that either. That's not that's not a thing. So Dan asks Roseanne, were we ever stupid enough were to we enjoy ever this? Ever stupid enough to enjoy this. And she says, yeah, but we were younger. We had n way fewer responsibilities. There was a war on. Everything was more fun. It was a different time. So that's the supreme ordeal. And the reward consequences is that their nostalgia for their old life has completely dissipated. Sure. 
this is the end. I mean, this is the the healing of the community. This tiny last moment. Dan says, we'll flush the rest of this. We'll never do this again. Let's go lie down. They forget about Laurie Metcalf in yeah. the bathtub who laments to an empty room. Guys, I don't think this stuff is working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a solid way to end it. it I'm is. glad we ended with her. But this is the whole episode. And it's not even about like... What are we going to do to David? Because they never come up with a punishment for him. No, like, and then never they have happens. my second least favorite thing, uh, the the mythical pot hangover. They have a tag where they're all in the kitchen, you know, suffering from the a pot massive hangover. pot hangover. Yeah. You know, remember when you smoke pot and the next day you're like, oh, I can't even function. Yep. I'm too happy and content. Yep. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're all staring at the around, staring at the table, and David comes in. And it's like I've realized pot's stupid and turns people into zombies, and then they all act like zombies, and then that's the end of it. Yeah, the I think that this episode works. The thing that works for me is I, I didn't articulate it to myself until I read this AV Club uh, Roundtable article. Mm-hmm. They said that the thing that makes it feel so real and lived in is that. They realize that they became adults without realizing it. Sure. There is a and they have a muted response to that revelation. They don't they don't go off on some midlife huge life altering crisis, let's buy a boat, let's leave the kids and move to Fiji. Yeah. They just are like, "Oh, there were 100,000 little things that happened over the past decades that turned us in into people we didn't really want to be, but we actually can't change the people we are. Like Mm -hmm. we don't suddenly get to go back to have the fun life that we remember as being our life in the past. We tried, we did the thing that used to make us happy and realize like, Oh, there isn't any going back. There isn't an unflipping of the switch. Growing up isn't, like a thing that you can undo. It's a thing that happened to us and now we are the people we are. Maybe we can make small changes and like be kinder to each other or whatever, but like you can't actually be a nice boss. What you've realized is that that guy doesn't have any control over his employees. Right. You know, you can't actually be like the mom that makes sure DJ doesn't fall off the roof because it's safer than the park and sometimes he might need to be up there, you know? Sure. So the thing that I like it is about it is actually kind of how muted it is and that the response is we can't really change anything. Sure. Uh, the reason I think this doesn't work, and I, I, I'm putting an asterisk on that, is because in an episode of uh, a sitcom episode of television, you have 23 minutes. And if you were going to make a point, every second of all of those 23 minutes needs to be pointing towards that point. It needs to be in service of the eventual message. They spend too much time on like a fake out PSA, kids are smoking pot in my house thing. Then they have to wrap that up. And then they have a second half of the second uh, act in order to have the characters learn a lesson, like get in, further the problem, learn a lesson, get out of it. Mm-hmm. Usually sitcoms are you introduce the problem right away. The first act is somebody, you know, trying to uh, address the problem and making it worse. And then the second act is a second attempt to address the problem and making it even worse before learning the lesson. But it all comes together because it's all on one specific track. Mm-hmm. In order to, like, make a, a, a brief fake out, like, oh, it was the kids. No, it was us. That should be a joke. That shouldn't be an act. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you do... If you make it, 
you cut out the Darlene call. Yeah. You have them, you know, address uh, David, and she's like, oh, "I'm too furious to even talk to you." And then David leaves the room. He's like, "This is your pot." He comes back in. And she's like, "Well, I'm gonna let you go on with a warning this time." Yeah. And then you move on from there, and you end Act One with them deciding to smoke pot. That's the, the that's this episode. That's when this episode works. As it is, it's just too convoluted for my taste to be. To I mean, it works as an episode, but you know, if everybody's putting it as like the twenty fifth best episode in the world, no, I, I don't think so. I think it needed to it needed to cut some fat away from. Yeah, it. that list also came out like in the year two thousand or something before our current golden age of television. Sure, um, but yeah, from this time before period, two guys, a girl, and a pizza place really hit its stride. Really, so. Uh, there's a uh, just fun bit of trivia that I found in my research. Aunt Jackie is sitting in the bathtub during that pot smoking scene because Laurie Metcalf was pregnant, but the writers oh. hadn't written her pregnancy into the show yet. Sure. The father of her kid, Matt Roth, who played her abusive boyfriend Fisher in the earlier seasons. Oops. Well, he wasn't really abusive. He just played her abusive boyfriend on the show. Oh, but, but they don't. They, that's not the guy. I'm sorry. I've misunderstood you. The character's pregnancy isn't as a result of the abuse of boyfriend. No. Okay. Laurie Metcalf's pregnancy would be written onto the show, but it hadn't been written on yet. Sure. So she sits in the bathtub throughout that scene. Uh, my favorite thing about Laurie Metcalf is she played Annie Wilkes in the stage adaptation of Misery mm-hmm. uh, opposite Bruce Willis. Yes. Uh, and I've heard insider details that uh, she is such a talented actor that she played a very compelling and and heartfelt performance with another actor. And I'm not saying who the other actor is here, Chelsea, mm-hmm. who had uh, an earpiece in and somebody feeding him his or her lines every yeah. night. Who knows? In that two-person show, it could have been any <laughs> actor been that I'm talking about. Yep. Interesting. Um, and just, yeah, Laurie Metcalf, what a fucking amazing part of this episode. And really the only, the solid laughs that I got. Um, another thing, yeah, I feel like if they... Decide to smoke pot at the end of uh, Act One, then you've got so much time in Act Two to get all the stoner humor out of the way to really like, and to dive into. Uh oh, we could have really gotten into some trouble now. Yeah. And if you give five seconds, then the first thought I have is, but don't you guys get drunk all the time? Like, how's that? Mm. How's that any different? Mm. Other than the legality of the situation. Yeah, I think it's that's why I think. Pot isn't even like a boogeyman in this episode. Yeah. You know, like it's more along the lines of um, we have a memory and nostalgia literally translates to home pain. Mm. So we have this this pain around this idea that like we were cool people when we smoked pot. Sure. Maybe if we did it again, we would be the cool version of ourselves again. Oh, God, those people are lost to time forever. Yeah. But she does have the line, I want our old lives back. Like, And she means our current lives. Yeah. But, and but, I, I oh, think sorry. that it's – I think that it's interesting that – um. <laughs> this is a line, this is a direct quote from the AV Club article, which is a little bit too on the nose, but sure. uh, in the end, time may be the most mind-bending drug of all. Oh it's not quite there, but it is this oh It is this idea of that like... That sounds like an 80s science fiction time traveling Yeah, thing. that's not even the last line the of the article. Line. That's just like in the middle somewhere. Whew. But uh, it's, it's it, to me, I find it compelling because I I feel like that's a thing that that doesn't get addressed a lot in these, like compared to the Home Alone episode, right? Where they found the pot and then it was like, how do we tell? Home Improvement episode. Home, yeah. Sorry, yeah. 
Compared to the home they improvement. They cut that home alone subplot home out. Home five. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin. That's He's just 17 Ma- and they found his weed. That's just Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. <laughs> so this reminds me, or it, it brings to mind yeah. the home improvement episode where they're like, mm. we need to talk to Brad about the pot stash we found. Right. And the conundrum is that Jill used to smoke pot. And right. do we tell him that? But, but it's never... It's bad. Like, it was bad when she did it. It was a boogeyman when she did it. Yeah. And now we're trying to warn him away from remaking her mistakes. Right. This is a different thing where it's like, we just remembered that we were cool when we smoked pot. Yeah. And I think that, that there's a nuance in there that should have been explored. I, and not to belabor the point even further, but the if you're going to put the thesis of this episode into two lines, you've got Roseanne talking about how it was a different time and there was a war and everything was different. And you've got Dan's troublesome line, were we ever stupid enough to enjoy this? Mm-hmm. Which is just such a judgment on, you know, using marijuana that it, it sort of blows the whole thing out of the water. It's like, we were dumb kids, that's the end of it. Yeah. You know, and then Roseanne's counterpoint is, it was a different time. Certainly, time is to blame. Like, generational shifts in time, the progression of time is to blame you know, as far as world events as to why mm-hmm. this has occurred. Yeah. It's, there's, there's something a, there's there. There's a lot really going is on. something yeah. there, but it just, this episode doesn't, doesn't get there for me. You think you could have, they could have distilled it much further. I think I could have distilled Clarified it much it. further. <laughs> That's no, a booze no. joke. Oh, that is a good, wow. <laughs> well done, Chelsea. I'm glad I didn't shush you before you said that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think we have varying Varying opinions on differing opinions on how well they made the point they were mm-hmm. trying to make, but I like the point they were trying to make sure. more than a typical anti pot, very special episode. Sure. Sometimes if you uh, if if you are positioned just right in your microphone, the little black bar goes over your eyebrow, and it looks like you don't have an eyebrow. And I giggle a little bit every time. See, I like to look at you from between the bars. I know, my, and that's what it happened right, right, right there, right there, right there. You like the beginning of Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> It's right there. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, so what I think that's all of what we learned from this episode. I don't feel like I learned anything about pot. Uh, no, I learned about use... Laurie Metcalf being pregnant. I always like <laughs> I always like the I mean, the fixes that that they find in TV and movies to conceal pregnancies. Sure. Um, she's constantly standing behind the couch. Why is she always standing behind the couch? Like I love those little bits of trivia. We've got a weird. Actually, I'm gonna throw this question out because we've got a weird set of circumstances now. Chelsea, mm. uh, if you were teaching a class. Uh, a class full of uh, the baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. would you show this to them as a way of addressing nostalgia? Because that's what this episode's about, and yeah, it's no, not no. geared towards kids. No, it's definitely not geared toward kids. Um, I don't know if I would, because I don't know that they need any help feeling these feelings. I feel like this is probably so common. It's that, also, yeah, that, who do you? Yeah. But oh, I, do you not like the world you made for yourselves? Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, but I also I'll, agree. But also every generation goes through the idea of like, I never thought I would be my parents. Like that's probably been happening since the beginning of human history. Right. And so it maybe there is a specificity to this generation that grew up um, being politically active in this specific way in the 60s and 70s. But for... For all intents and purposes, we all have to grow up and be adults at some point. Yeah, I don't think boiling it down into like making tying the culture to marijuana is more of an injustice than anything. And that's what this episode 
can do in that situation. It's we were politically active. That's the same as drugs. Drugs yeah. were the reason they we were, were politically well, active. Well, they was all bound up together. Like it can't be well, separated. I feel like that's a fallacy right there. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah, because there is a moment of like political buttons being put on and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like it's all bound up together. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I, as its own sort of like little, as the second and third act is their own sort of little Steppenwolf off Broadway play, yeah. um, starring Laurie Metcalf. Uh-huh. I'm into it. That's fine by me. Um, <laughs> do we even need to say who do you want to hug? Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> be my friend, Laurie Metcalf. Hashtag be my, be my friend, Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> bring Rich Crow with you. Hashtag bring Rich Crow with you. Um, that was good. I liked that episode. I'm glad we had a, a, a disagreement about it. Um, uh, you know. Yeah. Some episodes work in some ways and no, don't work in other ways. Yeah. I, I'm i interested to read that AV Club article. Maybe link that on the Yeah, on I the definitely page. will link it. It's the, A lot of people make a lot of good points. And um, it, yeah, I think I, I agree with the idea that like uh, what I like about it is its muted response to mm. what can we do about the fact that we've turned into people that we don't like. Not much. Sure. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Cool. So we don't know what we're watching next. Oh, we do know what we're we watching do. next time. We're about to go into Lord our have mercy, uh, people. We're about to go into our Christmas portion of the year. Yeah. Next time we are gonna watch which one are we gonna do first? I feel like we should do New Kids on the Block first. I think we should do New Kids okay. on the Block first. The next time you hear from us, you will be hearing our very scholarly description of uh, our experience with the New Kids on the Block animated Christmas special. Yep, we've been talking about it for a long time, people. Now it's, it's time all to all happening. Pay the 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 Wahlbergs. Pay the Wahlbergs. <laughs> it is uh, definitely you can watch it at the Paley Center because I already started yeah. watching it there. I'm not sure where else you can find it. Fucking good luck, people. <laughs> Again, I think I've read some of the descriptions on YouTube that are just barely sentences. Uh, so maybe try to find it. That I can't imagine there's a rights issue on YouTube. Nobody is claiming ownership of those shows. So uh, check that out, and uh, we uh, we will see you next time. Bring snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks. I'm basically oozing puns.